0: Thank you for listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Piney Grove Baptist Church in Trenton, Georgia. Piney Grove is a church that is being renewed by faith that lives, love that works, and hope that endures. Our hope is that your heart will be renewed today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming content. Well, thank you all for the good music. Thank you, Mickey, for helping us read Scripture. We're actually going to go back to Luke chapter 2 and go back to a portion of scripture he was just reading to focus on for a few moments this morning. Um, we've been talking for a few weeks about the rest of the Christmas story, and uh, we've talked about God is for us, uh, God's with us, and we talked about last week, God in us, and today I want to talk about God through us. Um, have you ever looked back and thought about the best Christmas you've ever had? Have you ever thought about that before? Um, I know the answer to the question, have you ever thought about what was the coldest Christmas? That would probably be this year. It's pretty funny, when we're on the way to church. I'm like, it's over 20. It's over 20. Warming warming up today. No, I I thought about that. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, to go around and get everybody's story about what's the best Christmas you've ever had and why. Uh, It's easy for me to remember the best one. It was Christmas of 2005. Because our second daughter, Emerson Noel, that's her middle name, Emerson Noel, was born December 14, 2005. And I think because it was so close to Christmas, it just made it that much more special. Um, you know, because people expect to give you time off and stuff. So it just worked out great. We had time off. We were able to spend time together more than usual and so forth. And um, that, that was the best Christmas I can remember. It also made, for whatever reason, just the... Uh, the, the, the story of Mary and Joseph and what they went through and so forth, having a new baby, just come to life more for me. Um, I wonder what yours is. You know, we, we don't have time to go around and get the story from everybody. But what's interesting is we get to see through Scripture uh, the answer to that question when it comes to Joseph and Mary. If we ask them what was their best Christmas they ever had, um, I think they would say the first Christmas. What do you think? The very first one, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it must have been like? So before we take a closer look at this portion of Scripture, we'll just slow down and look at it a little bit. It's important for us to remember that Mary and Joseph are walking through this and they're learning as they're going. It's not as if they were given all knowledge about Christ from the very beginning. They learned as they went along. And you can see that as you read the Gospels, as different things transpired, they were beginning to learn more and more about who Jesus is and what God's plan was for his life. So the passage we're going to talk about today is an example of this. Up to this point, Joseph and Mary are simply just doing the next thing that they knew that they were supposed to do, by, by the angel that had appeared to them, by the government. We, uh, Mickey read a while ago that they're, they're following the guidelines of the government to move for taxation and for census purposes. And even by the Old Testament, which he just read, what we'll talk about in just a moment, they're obeying the Word of God in the Old Testament, what they were supposed to do. So let, let's see what happens in their story just days after Christ is born. First of all, let's focus on this idea of simple obedience. Simple obedience. Luke chapter two and verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named to the angel, which was so named the angel before. He was conceived in the womb. Now, this is interesting. So, first of all, we see simple obedience related to the fact that they are going to follow the Old Testament covenant and circumcise their baby boy. But also, we see that they named the child what the angel told them to name the child. Simple obedience. Verse 22, "...and when the days of her purification also, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord." As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So everything we see in just these short verses of Scripture is just obedience, 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 obedience. Isn't that interesting to consider? Now, we're, now obviously, what Mary and Joseph are experiencing is so uh, overwhelming because they have at least a little bit of an understanding of who Jesus is because of the angel, because of the prophecies and so forth, but they're still trying to wrap their minds around what's happening. Yet despite all of this, if if you would think, I guess if you could think about this with me, if anyone could have said they had an exception to some of these laws, so to speak, or, or maybe they didn't have to do everything that everybody else was doing because their son was special, really special, that it would have been them, but we don't see that at all. They go along with just the laws, the practices that they were supposed to follow, just like they were supposed to, simple obedience. And as I read that, it really dawned on me, as human beings, as people, we are the only ones who downplay the importance of just simply obeying God. And here's what I thought. If we understood that simple obedience is the key to experiencing the supernatural, we would, we would, instead of viewing it as simple obedience, we would view it as an amazing opportunity. If we would just trust the Lord and obey him, if we'll just obey his word, if we'll just follow him in submission to him, simple obedience is the key to experience supernatural things. That's what they're doing. Number two, we see a sovereign connection. They don't know this. They don't know that when they're getting there to Jerusalem and so forth that they're going to run into this guy named Simeon course he doesn't know this either and this is so interesting god just brings people together and there's a sovereign connection look at verse 25 and behold there was a man in jerusalem whose name was simeon and the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of israel and the holy ghost was upon him and it was revealed unto him by the holy ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the lord's christ and he came and he came by the spirit into the temple Spirit of God leading him into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he, him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace. God just arranges the timing of all of this together. So Simeon is told he is going to see the Lord's Christ. Mary and Joseph are just simply obeying, going to do what they're supposed to do to present him to the Lord and make sacrifice. The Spirit of God says, go to the temple just in time. They cross paths right when they're supposed to. And Simeon gets to see the Lord's Christ just like the Holy Spirit had told him he was going to. This to me is a, a great example, an amazing example of how God connects the stories of different people to reveal the greater story he's been writing all along. And if, and if we would allow God's spirit to lead us, and if we would allow God's spirit to teach us and to give us understanding and insight, and if we would follow him in simple obedience, what we begin to see is beyond simple obedience is, is supernatural experiences. And beyond that is a sovereign connection that God is working through, that the plan of God is being revealed, that there's so much more meaning to what we would consider just mundane life than we realize, but God knows it if we'll just follow him. And I thought, you know, living a life like Simeon, he's described in verse 25 as just, devout, and waiting on God. If we would live life like Simeon, that would create moments like these in our lives also where we could see the hand of God at work, where we could see the plan of God unfolding, where we could see what had been going on in our lives up to that point, now having having purpose and having meaning where, where we thought there wasn't a purpose, where we struggled to understand what was going on. All of a sudden, because we just simply follow the Lord and we're obeying the Lord and we're trying to worship the Lord with how we live our lives and serve others, we see things come to pass and we see our eyes being opened and our understanding and God bringing people into our lives. So we see simple obedience, a sovereign connection. And number three, scriptural illumination. Now, this is so important to think about, y'all. Scripture teaches us that the Spirit of God is the one who wrote the Word of God through people. Is that right? That's what Scripture says. The Spirit of God inspired the authors of Scripture. The the, the Word of God, one passage says it is God-breathed. One passage said that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we can understand that if the Spirit of God wrote the Word of God, then the Spirit of God can give us understanding of the Word of God. And that's exactly what was happening here in the life of Simeon. He began to understand. He began to have a a greater understanding of it because of what the Spirit of God had led him to understand. It wasn't simply that he studied and figured it out. No, not at all. It was the fact that the Spirit of God had given him understanding. So here he is. Mary and Joseph don't know this is about to happen. They bring in Jesus, and here comes Simeon, and he grabs the Lord, and, and he starts talking about what God has taught him. And in him sharing with them, they begin to understand. Look at verse, the rest of verse 29. It goes on to say, he says the last phrase, according to thy word, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. In other words, you promised that I was going to see the Lord's Christ. Verse 30, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. That's a, a reference to the Old Testament in Isaiah. Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. This is Isaiah 9, verse 32, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So the Holy Spirit had given Simeon this illumination needed to understand that Jesus is the one about whom Isaiah was writing in Isaiah 9. And and apart from the Holy Spirit, he would have never known that, but, but now he understands it. Now he's connecting the dots here. So now Simeon is teaching Joseph and Mary what he had been taught by the Holy Spirit. And now all of a sudden, it means more to Mary and Joseph. And it means more obviously to Simeon, because Simeon is thinking, man, it's come to pass what the Spirit of God had told me." And, and now I understand this is, this is the one. He is the one that Isaiah was writing about, the a light Now notice this phrase, "A light to lighten the Gentiles." We'll talk about more of that in just a moment. Number four, then we see a spiritual contradiction. And this is oftentimes what it can get overlooked in the Christmas story. And it's so interesting to think about that this is the time that it happens. But I want you to, we're going to read verse 32 through 35, and then I'll try to give us a little bit of understanding to it. Verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Listen to that. They marveled at the things spoken of Simeon. Why? Because they were hearing things they had never heard before. Maybe they had heard them before, but they hadn't heard them connected to to Christ, their son, God's son. Verse 34, and Simeon blessed them. And said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Imagine not only hearing Simeon's explanation, but witnessing his faith. And what he's explaining about Jesus, their son or God's son. But sadly, not all the news is good news. The life of Jesus was going to expose the spiritual contradiction within the hearts of many people. It would result in both great sorrow and amazing hope. And and our decision, even today, of what we do with Christ is what determines whether it's great sorrow or amazing hope. That phrase, for the fall and rising of many, one commentator said this, this would be shown in the way that Peter repented, but Judas despaired. Peter repented, but, Jesus, but Judas despaired. And, and, that one th- and that one thief, remember Jesus is crucified between two thieves, and that one thief blasphemed and the other believed. Jesus is like a magnet that is attractive to some, but others are repelled from him. And that's what Simeon is telling Mary right there. He, she, she is being told that Jesus Christ is not just going to be readily accepted and embraced and believed upon by everyone. That there's some that are going to actually turn against him. And, and some who you thought were going to be for him would be against him. As John wrote in John chapter 1, he, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Those who should have known that he's the Messiah, many of them rejected him. And, and, and Simeon is helping her understand. It's basically like a preview of what's going to be happening in his life. You're going to think people are going to embrace him and they're going to reject him. And the people that you would think would never embrace him are the ones who are totally embrace him and believe in him. And it's going to be the rising and a fall of many. and, And you're going to witness the hearts of people and their contradictions that they have spiritually. They claim to believe one thing and they claim to worship him. And then a few days later, they're going to be crying out, crucify him. And then he says this personally. And it's also going to hurt you really bad too. Because remember now, Mary witnesses the crucifixion of Jesus. And so she is getting a preview of what's to come. And I can imagine it could could be overwhelming for her, but I'll say this, spiritual contradiction, this response to Jesus hasn't changed since then until today. Some run to Jesus upon hearing about his love and grace and forgiveness, and others run from him in disbelief and rejection and rebellion, refusing to believe that he is that good or that they have gone too far. They've gone too far from God. So why the different responses to Jesus? Why? Because not everyone likes the light. Did you know that? Not everyone likes the light. We joke around at my house because we have a lot of lights in the living room and I often turn them off. Because I don't like bright lights in my face. (laughs) But I'm talking about a different kind of light. I'm talking about the light that shows you what's going on in here. A lot of us really are scared of that light. I mean, look at verse 32 again. He refers to Christ and he says, and this is a prophecy out of Isaiah 9, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. John talks about it in John chapter 1 that in him Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. Jesus called himself the light of the world. And he even talked about it. He said some people... Some people love darkness more than they love light because the light reproves the works that they do. And he said, but those who do good love the light because their works are made manifest in the light. And I started thinking about that phrase and just a couple things before we're closing to talk about. Light is something by which Jesus has identified himself from the beginning of time. Think about it. It's a force that distinguishes, it divides, it brings clarity, it reveals what's true or what's false. And and this really stood out to me in in a new way as I was studying this. I never thought about this before, but based in Scripture here, the first words of Jesus in Scripture are, let there be light. According to scripture, this is the first thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Listen to that. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And I thought about that. Well, I know it says, and God said, let there be light, but we understand that this is specifically talking about Jesus because Colossians and other passages make it clear that Jesus, in John chapter 1 as well, is the one who spoke all things into being. He was the one who's speaking things into creation, and that's what happens here. So Jesus' words, let there be light, and there was light. And, and God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And that's not even the end. He talks about light again in verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and God saw it that it was good. God created light. Right away, from the very beginning. First words. And we see also, and not only in creation do we see light, but in provision. This is unique to think about. In Exodus chapter 10, and you can read on Exodus 14, there's different passages. One of the plagues that that God brought upon Egypt when when God was trying to redeem His people and, and get them out of bondage in Egypt, Israel, one of the plagues was what? Darkness. It was darkness. This is so interesting. Scripture says that it was the darkness that could be felt. It was darkness that people could feel. But here's what's unique about it. The darkness only affected the Egyptians. Not the children of Israel, not the children of God. It didn't. God, and, then, and then as they're escaping and as they're fleeing from Egypt, God manifests himself in a cloud and a fire, and, and it divides and protects them from the Egyptian army, and it, it makes things dark for them, but it gives light to the children of Israel. God's provision, and we see different passages in the Old Testament that God uses light in powerful and amazing ways. And then I thought, and last of all, this is just more, more of an application in Matthew chapter 5. We see, we see light as it re- revealed in creation and provision. But then in, in, in our characterization, this is part of what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, and this is the end, right, right after the Beatitudes, if you've heard about that before. And this is part of that right at the end of that in Matthew chapter 5. And this is when Jesus starts making some application. In verse 13, he says, you're the salt of the earth. But here's verse 14. You're, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. He says in another passage, as long as I am in the world, I am the, I am the light of the world. But here he's saying, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You ever been up on lookout or sand mountain at night? You ever been down in the valley looking up in the mountain? Verse 15, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Here's the application. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God through us. We're the light of the world. God through us here's what's interesting about light and we can and I've heard people take that verse of scripture and boy we can take liberties with it and go all kinds of kind of weird directions but how about we just how about we just read what's said here how about that let's read it again let your light so shine before men okay he just said before that People don't light a candle and cover it up, right? That makes no sense, right? If you're covering it up, it's because you're wanting to blow it out or whatever, put it out. So if you light a candle, you leave it so it can create light for all that are in the house. So what do you have to do? What do you have to do to, to allow your light to shine? You you don't have to do anything except get out of the way. Like get out of the way, don't cover it up, right? Just stay out of the way. That's one of the things that we've been talking about here for a few months as a church family. We just want to get out of the way so the Lord can do whatever he wants to do. But let's make it personal. Let's get out of the way so that the light can shine. This is how it's described. Let your light so shine before men. Let the Spirit of God, let Christ be magnified through you. Listen to this, and here's how it's described. You may be thinking, what in the world does that look like? That they may see your good works. That's it. That's how we let our light shine, that they may see your good works, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's such a practical side to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and this is a perfect example of it. We, I mean, we have lights behind me and out in the lobbies, and many of you maybe have lights as you've strung up this time of the year. That's why we're doing this. God uses a star to to lead people to where Christ is born. I mean, light throughout all of Scripture and Jesus referring to himself as light. Now he's saying, we are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And I just pray that we would do that. Can we get out of the way? Can we get out of the way? Let's pray together.